Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, again, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you're here. My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and, and we are glad that you're with us. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I would, would love to uh, meet you sometime today and um, just formally welcome you and greet you uh, because we're glad that you're here. Um, if you do have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 11 this morning of Matthew 6. Uh, this is the third sermon in a series on the Lord's Prayer. This is the middle of the Lord's Prayer. We've done two this morning, and then we'll have two more uh, following this morning. Um, and, and as we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, we're finally coming to a portion of it that probably sounds much more similar to our prayers than what the previous sermons uh, entailed, because oftentimes our prayers are probably filled with lots of uh, things like, God, I need, God, please do, God, help, God, would you take this person and bring them into my life? Would you take this person and rid them from my life? Uh, we plead and we ask and we make requests, right? That's how most of our prayers are filled, right? They're filled with these sorts of requests, these petitions. But up until now, the Lord's Prayer hasn't been focused on petitions, has it? I mean, it's been focused more on our Father in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. There hasn't been a lot of, would you please do this for me yet? But that petitionary type prayer we now come to. It's what this verse is dealing with in verse 11. This prayer asking God to come and to help us in our time of need. To help us in our daily lives. We're asking for a need to be met. And so let's go ahead and read Matthew 6. We'll read the verses that come before verse 11 as well. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our God and our King, you are great and glorious. You are our Father who is in heaven, and you do all things well. And so we ask this morning that as we come to this portion of your word, that you would make your will known to us, that you would lead us in the way that we are to go, so that our lives and that this day, this moment, would bring you glory. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, at some point when I was in elementary school, it was either second or third grade, I remember we were learning our times tables. Um, I'm not sure what grade they do that now. I know my kids are way more advanced than me. It seems like maybe they learned them in like nursery school, but, but it was second or third grade in Canada. We're a little bit behind. So, um, but, um, but I remember we were pouring over the times tables, and, and I was having trouble with them. You know, I was able to get the ones and the twos, the fives and the tens, those were easy, but, but the sevens and the eights, those, those were difficult for me. For some reason, I, I just couldn't remember what seven times seven was and eight times six. I, I just couldn't keep it inside my head. And, and so after a, a few tests, a few quizzes where I wasn't doing very well, uh, I went to my dad, who knew math really well, and I said to him, I'm, I'm struggling. Uh, I, I can't seem to get this. Can you help me, please? I don't want to do badly on my tests anymore, even though it's math and really who needs math, right? That's what I was thinking, right? I'll never need this sort, sort of thing. Um, I still don't want to do badly, so, so will you help me? And so my dad, of course, as a loving father, says, well, sure, I'll help you. He takes me into my room. 
He leads me to my desk. He clears it off. He sits me down, and in front of me puts a stack of blank paper and a pencil. And he says, write. And then he left. <laughs> and that was it. I was supposed to write out those times tables over and over and over again. When I filled up one page, I was supposed to go to the next page and keep filling it up over and over again, right? Two times two and four times four and six times seven and eight times whatever I was supposed to do. From ones through twelves, I was supposed to write over, over and over and over again, night after night after night. And I did this for a few hours every night for a couple weeks. This is how my dad helped me. <clears throat> well, lo and behold, after a couple weeks of doing this, hour after hour, writing after writing, I knew my times table's cold. I mean, I had it. I knew exactly what seven times seven was. I have trouble remembering now, but I knew it then, <laughs> right? I knew it. I had it cold. I had learned those times tables, but, but you know, I, I learned actually something much more important over the course of those few weeks. I learned something that actually stuck with me and was ingrained in, in the very DNA of who I am. I learned that when I'm in trouble, when I'm in need, when, when there's a problem presented before me, a little bit of hard work, a lot of effort, and some self-responsibility, and I can take care of a lot of problems. I bet a lot of you resonate with that. You're probably very successful at your career because you've manned hour after hour after hour. Right? I mean, that sort of work ethic, that sort of understanding about how we are to approach the wor world, I mean, that makes us successful in lots of places, right? It makes you successful in second grade when you're learning your times tables. It makes you successful when you're a seminary student learning your Hebrew paradigms, katal, katala, katala, right? You could do the, no. Um, it makes you successful in your places of work. It makes you successful in graduate school, right? This sort of work ethic, this self-responsibility, this I can depend upon myself. If I just try harder, then the problem will fade away. That sort of responsibility, that's a good thing, right? I mean, it's much better to have great work ethic than to be a lazy bum, right? Now, the problem isn't with work ethic. The problem isn't with trying harder. The problem is when we take that trying harder when we take that work ethic, and we don't just apply it to our places of work, but we apply it to every aspect of life, including our relationship with God. Right? This is what Brian Chappell calls sola bootstrapa Christianity. <laughs> so if you're familiar with the Reformation, there were the great doctrines of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura, right, by Scripture alone. Sola Fide, by faith alone. Sola Gratia, by grace alone. Sola Christus, by Christ alone, right? But we have a new one. Sola Bootstrapa, by my bootstraps alone. That's how I'm going to function in this world. No matter the problem, no matter the need, if I just work harder, it will go away. But you know, this prayer that we're looking at, this portion of the prayer... God, give us today our daily bread is challenging sola bootstrap of Christianity. It's challenging sola bootstrap of Christianity because this prayer is saying that what I need, God can give. And only God can give. This prayer is challenging the idea of self-determination. It's a prayer of dependence. It's a prayer of reliance. It's acknowledging that we do not rely upon ourselves for really anything. But we rely 100% on our Father who is in heaven. 
Now, if you're approaching God or this world or, or really anything from that solo bootstrap understanding, then, then this prayer is going to be very hard for you to pray. In fact, a number of years ago, there was a, a publisher of a Christian magazine who said this. He said, I don't pray anymore. I've given it up for Lent, also for Advent and Pentecost. He went on, how can I maintain without lying that God has had a hand in this meal? Okay, so he looks at the table that's spread before him. He looks at the food, and all he can see is the hours of labor he put in working for the paycheck that bought this food. And all he can see is the time he spent at the grocery store pulling off those, the food from the shelves, and the hours he spent over a hot stove and in presenting it before this table. And all he can see is all his efforts in preparing this meal. And so what did God have to do with it? Now, we're not so brash, we would never say something like that. But I wonder if we've become so focused, so enthralled with our own efforts that we don't see God's hand of giving. A different theologian, he said this, The food we eat is ours only because God upholds our universe and gives us seed time and harvest. Beyond that, the food we eat nourishes us only because of his blessing. But the truth is, is God's blessing extends beyond even the bread that we eat, beyond the food on our tables. It includes our intellect and our work ethic. It includes our understanding and our compassion. I mean, some of y'all are wicked smart. I mean, through the roof smart, right? You understand things about science and math and history and law and, and all these other things that, that very few of us can comprehend. Well, where did that intellect come from? Some of you have incredible work ethic, right? It's just ingrained in you, right? From the time you were a child, you just didn't want to sit still. You wanted to be doing something. You wanted to be working and laboring and producing. Well, where did that come from? Some of you love with selflessness and grace and compassion. Well, who gave you that? You see, the truth is, is that if we are honest with ourselves, we have to pray this prayer. We have to pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. I mean, this prayer acknowledges, give us, give us. It acknowledges the fact that we are asking for something that we could only have because of God. That we would not have it without God's care. We have to pray this prayer because the truth is, is that we are dependent creatures. We're dependent creatures, dependent not on ourselves, but on our Father. That we are dependent for our physical needs, but we're also dependent for our spiritual needs. And those are the two things I want us to see. That this prayer is asking God to give to us, to help us be dependent upon him for our physical needs. Now, when Jesus was writing, when he first offered this prayer as a model for his disciples, bread was the staple of the diet, right? That's what people ate. Now, in our culture, we can go days, weeks, we could even go years without ever having a morsel of bread, and yet our bellies would never be empty. So the point isn't just simply bread. The point is, is that we are dependent upon God for sustenance for all of life. It might be the job that provides us with the income to buy the bread. It might be bread itself. It might be that God provides us the home 
to store the bread. But regardless of what it is that we are asking for, the point is is that we are depending on God for what we need to live. And this dependence is moment by moment. It's not one and done. You heard it, give us this day our daily bread. Some theologians note that it can actually be translated, give us this day our bread for tomorrow. Tomorrow's bread. And so the point is, is that I need to be dependent upon God today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day of my life for all that I need. A daily, moment-by-moment dependence. Israel learned this kind of dependence. You remember months ago when we were in the book of Exodus, as God had delivered Israel out of Egypt miraculously by the power of his mighty hand, he he brings them out and he starts leading them through the wilderness and they're moving towards Mount Sinai and as they're wandering through the wilderness, they look around and they're like, "Uh, there's no bread. And so what did they do? Remember, they they didn't cry out to God. They didn't ask him to provide bread. What did they do? They grumbled, right? They grumbled. And God, out of his mercy and his care, provided manna from heaven and quail. But do you remember they weren't supposed to depend on their own ingenuity, right? Their ability to store up for themselves. God said, only take what you need for this day. If you try and save too much, if you try and save some for the days ahead, then then it's going to have worms and it's going to become rotten and you're not going to want to eat it. So God was teaching them daily dependence. Every single day, he was going to provide what they needed. He was going to give them exactly what they needed. And so we have to ask ourselves, when we pray this prayer, are we praying it with great sincerity? Are we really depending upon God for our daily needs? I mean, how do we even know if we're doing that, especially in a culture where where we, we have food that's stored up that could last for years, right? And we have more clothes than we could ever wear. And we have wealth that allows us, that, that, that will provide for us for days and weeks and, and, and many years. And now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that your saving is wrong. Saving is a good thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that wealth is bad, that the storing up of wealth is bad. No, that, that's it's a good thing. God actually blesses his people with great wealth. David and Abraham and Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man who provided the tomb for Jesus' body to be laid. Now, the question isn't about wealth or food or clothes. The question is, are we depending more upon our ability to accumulate wealth and have that food, or are we depending more on God? So how do we even know if we are? Well, I wonder what our prayers look like. If we analyzed our prayers... Would our prayers be filled with thanksgiving for what God has given or only request for what we do not have? So I just finished reading the book Robinson Crusoe. So some of you know this great book, this, this wonderful story of, of this man who shipwrecked on a deserted island, right? And early, early on in, in his shipwreck, right, he, he's the only survivor of the shipwreck. He's, he's sitting on the island, and, and he's, he's sitting there going, woe is me, right? He's lamenting, and he's grieving, and he's mourning, and he's like, why did this come to me? Why did this happen? All he can think about is, how can I get off the island? And, and he's feeling sorry for himself, and, and honestly, like, who? you, you kind of can't really blame him, right? Because we'd probably be saying similar things. You're on a deserted island. You don't know if you're going to survive. Woe is me. 
But what's amazing is that as the book progresses, he has this spiritual awakening, and he starts to see things a little bit differently. He's not just complaining any longer about where he is or that he can't get off the island or that he built this boat, but he forgot that he's not strong enough to pull it into the water. It's a really funny part of the book, by the way. Uh, He's not worrying about those things. Instead, now he says things like, how mercifully can our great creator treat his creatures? With mercy, he said. Even in those conditions in which they seem to be overwhelmed in destruction, how can he sweeten the bitterest providences and give us cause to praise him from dungeons and prisons? What a table was here spread before me in the wilderness where I saw nothing at first but to perish for hunger. Isn't that amazing? The wilderness before him, this deserted island, all he could see at one point was this place that would bring starvation and death. But now he says, what a table that is spread before me. And he has this new perspective and he starts thinking, why am I crying? Why am I lamenting? Why am I grieving? I could have been like my shipmates who are at the bottom of the ocean. Or I could have sailed up onto this, the other side of the island where there are cannibals and I would have been eaten. The providence of God. He starts thanking God for what he had, not just lamenting or crying out or asking for what he did not have. His prayer had changed. And friends, the truth is is that when our prayers are filled not just with petition for what we want or what we long for, what we need, but also thanksgiving, we're praying to God as our Father then, not as a genie. Do you know what it means to pray to God as a genie? To pray to God as a genie would be to say something like, God, I've asked for it, so you need to do it. No, we we would never be so bold. No, we would say it more like, well, Jesus has said, ask whatever you wish in my name, and I will give it to you. And so, like a genie, right, I just got to rub the bottle the right way, and the genie comes out, and I can ask all these questions. So so as long as I kind of formulate my my prayer in the right way, I I include Jesus' name in it, then he has to give me that car, that house, that relationship, whatever it might be. See, that's praying to God as a genie, not praying to God as our Father. I mean, remember where this petitionary prayer comes in the order of the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't lead with, give us this day our daily bread. It begins with our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You are good and right and perfect. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And then it says, give us this day our daily bread. Our petitions come after acknowledging who God is. And who is he? Well, he's our father who gives good gifts to his people. I mean, think about that. That fathers and mothers with your children, your kids ask you for all kinds of stuff, don't they? I mean, crazy things. Can I have cake for breakfast? That, that's not a bad request, but, you know, maybe it's not the best request. Can I have $20,000, not, not just for education, but can I have $20,000, I don't know, for, like, a, back trap, a, back, back, a trip across Europe? <laughs> it's not a bad request. It's not a bad request, but is that what they need, right? Like, like we know as parents that, that simply because they ask a request of us doesn't mean that we should give it to them. That to show our love to them might mean that we actually don't give them the very thing that they asked for, right? It's actually what Jesus said about our Heavenly Father. Do you remember? He said, He said, Which one of you, if his son asks for a fish, 
will give him a serpent. If you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven? Those three words, how much more. If we know how to give, give good gifts, how much more does our Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts? And so that means by coming to him, by praying to him as our father, it means that we acknowledge the fact that God loves us too much to give us something that is not what we need simply because we asked for it. And so we should say with sincerity, God, I want that new job. I want it. We should say with sincerity, God, I want a relationship. I want a husband or a wife. We can say with sincerity, God, I, I, I want children or grandchildren. We can say with sincerity, God, God, I'd love new clothes or a new home. We, we can say these sorts of things. We can ask them, but we ask them acknowledging the fact that we are putting ourselves in the care of our Father, who in his good will and in his good providence and in his understanding of our need may not give us what it is that we have asked for. And so we can say, God, I know you are good. Your will be done. And we can say, not with gritted teeth, but with complete trust and gratitude. God, you are a good father, and your will is always good, so I will trust you to give me what I need, even when that may not be what I have asked for. It's actually what Jesus prayed, isn't it? If you remember in the garden on the night when she was betrayed. Jesus, before he was arrested and put before this kangaroo court, and before he was convicted and, and crucified and buried, he found himself in a garden, and he was praying, and he was praying to his father, and what did he say? My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Right? What's he saying? He's saying, God, if there is any other way to save your people, if there is any other way to deliver them from sin, let this cup pass before me. It wasn't wrong that Jesus asked that. It's not wrong that you would ask for a new job. It's not wrong that you would ask for a relationship or for children or for wisdom or for understanding. It's, it's not wrong to ask for these things, but, but Jesus goes on. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It's not wrong to ask for those things, but we ask of them putting ourselves in the good care of our Father. You see, we depend on him for our physical needs. That's what it means to pray this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need. It's what we're praying for our physical needs, but we're also praying for our spiritual needs. You see, this prayer isn't just about food that we eat. It's about food for our souls. Do you remember in John chapter 6, Jesus has been teaching. He's been going around the different countryside and from town to town. And he's been teaching to these people. And, and we're told that 5,000 men, we're told 5,000 men. So you, we had women and children, and there's probably like 7, 8, 10, maybe 15,000 people are there to hear his teaching. They're following him along. And, and as the day is getting longer, Jesus looks and he realizes there's not enough food. These guys are getting hungry. So he turns to his 12 disciples and says, these thousands of people, y'all go feed them. 
And you remember his disciples' response? We don't have enough food, and we don't have enough money to go buy enough food for this many people. But then this little boy shows up with five barley loaves and two fish, right? And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, this kid's got a little bit of food. But you can kind of tell it's like, (laughs) yeah, this is enough. Thanks. Good try, kid, right? That's kind of how you feel when they bring him forward. But, But what does Jesus do? He takes the bread. He gives thanks. He gives it back to his disciples and said, go feed them. And every person on that hillside was fed. Their bellies were filled. And they had scraps left over, right? They accumulated all the scraps. Thousands of people ate that day. Now let's put ourselves in the place of those those people, that crowd that day. You've just eaten this miraculous bread. The next day, what would you want to do? I know, I'd be wanting more. And that's exactly what they did, right? The next day, they awake. They remember the bread that they had eaten the day before, and so they go looking for Jesus, and they find him. And Jesus said, I know why you came. You came because you tasted the bread. (coughs) Excuse me. But he says, I have a different bread for you today. He says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What Jesus said is that there is a food that satisfies not just for a moment or for an hour or for a day or a week, but there is a bread that has come that satisfies for an eternity. And he said, I am that bread. I'm giving my life for the, lo- for the sake of the world. It is my flesh, his body that would be broken and his blood that would be shed. It was given for the life of the world so that we would have a bread that would satisfy our souls. That's what the prophet Isaiah said. You remember the prophet Isaiah? He said, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? What a wonderful question. Why do you spend your money and your labor on that which does not satisfy? I think oftentimes the things that we pray for, the things that we're asking God to give us, we ask because, not because they're bad things, but because we think they will satisfy We think if I could only have that next job, then I would be satisfied. If I could only have that relationship, if I could only hear from that one person, I love you, then my longing would be no more. We think if only I had that house or that car or whatever it might be, whatever it is that you are asking God for, oftentimes I think we ask for it because we think that it will give us something it was never intended to give us. Why do you spend your money on what does not satisfy? I think oftentimes our petitions, as one theologian put it, aren't for our daily needs, but our daily greeds. We are greedy for more and more because we think more will satisfy. We think that they will fill our soul's longing to be fed. That's why the prophet asks, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. But then he goes on. 
He doesn't just leave it there. He goes on. He says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. That your soul may live. You see, friends, what it is that we are ultimately hungering for is not just that our bellies would be full and not just for an enjoyment for a day, but that our souls would live for eternity. That is what we have been longing for. And so when we ask for our daily bread, we are not just asking for physical sustenance, but we are asking for eternal sustenance. We are asking for bread to fill our souls that we would hunger no more. The theologian Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. He said, if we have all the food in the world, but no Christ, we will ultimately starve. But if we have food with Christ, we have all we shall ever need. Because we need both, we daily pray. Give us today our daily bread. See, friends, we are in need of both. We need to depend upon God for our daily needs for the money to buy our bread, for the homes to store it in, for the, for the cars to get us to our work, for the labors that he has given. We are needing to depend upon God daily for our physical sustenance, but we also depend upon him to feed our souls, that our souls may live. It's not just the prophet who says this, but Jesus says it. Come to me, all you who are weary, come to me. Come to me, and I will give you the bread of life. Whoever comes shall not hunger, and whoever believes shall not thirst. That is what he invites us to do. And so let's come to him again. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we do ask that as we come to you this day, and not just this day, but tomorrow and all of our days, that this prayer would be on our hearts and our minds that it would be on our tongues and our lips, that we are dependent people, that we are in need of a God who doesn't simply give us our desires, but gives us exactly what we need, and we believe that. That you give us all that we need for life and for godliness. You have promised us that. You have told us that we live not by just bread that we eat, but by the very word of God. And so we pray that we would be dependent people, looking for you for our physical needs and for our spiritual needs. So, Father, we come to you as your children, praying the prayer your son taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I'll invite the ushers to come forward and we'll take this morning's offering.